following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, January 7, 2024, on the basis of verses from Romans chapter 11. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. So I have some good news for you this morning. I know a way for us to take all of that fighting that's going on over in the Middle East and bring it to an end once and for all. That's right, call up the people who award that Nobel Peace Prize every year and let them know I have a plan. If that sounds a little bit ridiculous to you, this is probably going to sound even more ridiculous. My plan for the way to bring all of that fighting going on over in the Middle East to an end once and for all is to let artificial intelligence settle the dispute. Now, before you jump to conclusions, hear me out. Recently, I was doing a little bit of reading about artificial intelligence, and I read about one of those moments, one of those sort of watershed and breakthrough moments that happens from time to time where it seems as though technology has made this giant leap forward. It involved an ancient Chinese board game that's known as Go. And in the game of Go, the players place these different colored stones at various points in a 19 by 19 grid. And they use those stones to sort of claim territory for themselves. They wall off certain areas of the board for their side. Well, because there are so many different combinations of moves that a person might make, and because there's really no universally agreed upon best strategy to win a game of Go, it has long been thought to be the ultimate test of things like intuition and instinct and creativity. You know, the kinds of things that we would think human beings will always be better than machines at doing. And yet back in March of 20. 16, there was a Google computer known as DeepMind that beat Lee Sadal in a match of Go. Lee Sadal was at that point considered to be the world's best player at the game. The computer beat Lee in a five-game match by a score of four to one. So I figure, hey, if artificial intelligence is better at staking out territory in an ancient Chinese board game, then maybe artificial intelligence would also be good at settling the territorial dispute happening over in the Middle East. Of course, that doesn't just sound ridiculous. That is ridiculous. The kinds of disputes like the one happening over in the Middle East are not the kinds of things that you can just calculate your way out of. You can't just plug in a bunch of data and have a machine compute the correct solution. No, disputes like those are human disputes that are caused by human desires, human ambitions, human sin, human prejudice. In fact, disputes like those are caused for the very same reason that all of those disputes are caused that don't involve things like bullets and bombs. The very same cause leads to disputes that involve things like gossip and insults and vitriol and anger and vengeance in our world. Really, any dispute where someone makes a claim of being superior to someone else for any reason whatsoever. So let me ask, 
if artificial intelligence is not going to help us out in a situation like this, what do you think our best hope might be? That was actually a very serious and real question for the Apostle Paul as he wrote these words, because he was also living at a time where there was a lot of tension, a lot of distrust, a lot of animosity, and even hostility between people who were Jewish and between everyone else. And so know these words that are in front of us today are not going to give us some magic solution for bringing about peace in the Middle East. Instead, they are going to give us something that in a certain sense is far better. They are going to give us what we need to settle any dispute whatsoever where someone is making a claim of superiority over someone else. As we look at these verses from Romans chapter 11 this morning, we're going to see that human claims of superiority can only be settled, not by artificial intelligence, but instead by divine wisdom. Now maybe there's a reason why this Chinese board game called Go has been around for thousands of years. It's because it sort of embodies the way that life works. In any number of different ways, at any given moment, the entire human population can sort of be divided into two groups. And those two different groups tend to sort of congregate in higher concentration in certain areas, almost sort of claiming certain territories for their own. As a result, there almost always ends up being those who are insiders and those who are outsiders. So, you've got the Democrats and you've got the Republicans. You've got vegetarians and you've got meat eaters. You've got Packer fans and you've got Bear fans. You've got Swifties and you've got non-Swifties. And yes, you have Christians and you have non-Christians. And when it comes to that last way of dividing the population, let's assume for a moment that you identify yourself as one of the Christians. In other words, in this specific instance, you are one of the insiders. The big question is, what does that fact say about you? And what does it also say about someone else who happens to be an outsider? Well, in Paul's day, it was actually the Gentiles, surprisingly enough, who were the insiders. Even though God had chosen the Jewish people to be his special chosen people, and even though Jesus had been born as a Jew, the Jewish people had largely rejected Jesus as the Savior. And so the Gentiles were the insiders, and the Jewish people were the outsiders. So if anyone was at risk of making a claim of superiority over someone else, it was those Gentiles. But Paul wants to remind them of something very important. He wants to remind them that the whole reason they became insiders in the first place was because of those outsiders. Because the Jewish people had rejected the gospel and the truth about Jesus, that was what caused the gospel to spread so rapidly in the Gentile world. That was what had caused Jesus' disciples to go out into all the world as quickly as they possibly could. And so God had used the Jewish outsiders in service of the Gentiles who were now the insiders. Oh, but God wasn't done. God's plan and Paul's desire was to now use the Gentile insiders in a way that benefited the Jewish outsiders. God wanted the Jews to see what the Gentiles had and to become envious of it. To see what they had and to want it for themselves. And so the second part of God's plan was to use the now Gentile insiders for the benefit of the Jewish outsiders. So how do you suppose our board looks today? If we were to divide the world between Christians and non-Christians, it wouldn't happen quite as much along ethnic lines as it may have during Paul's day. 
And yet at any given point in world history, this board that we call planet Earth can be divided into those two groups of Christians and non-Christians. And so what does Paul want to remind us of if at this point in history we happen to find ourselves being one of the insiders? Well, he wants us to know that the, the reason that happened in the first place is because it involves some outsiders. If we could somehow trace our path back from where the gospel started all the way through the centuries and across continents until it reached us, no doubt there would be plenty of outsiders who were involved in that process. Plenty of instances where the gospel was actually rejected, forcing it to stay on the move rather than just settling down in one place permanently. At the same time, once again, God is still not done as he moves his pieces strategically around the board. If you happen to find yourself as one of the insiders at this moment in time, God wants to use you to make one of those outsiders envious. For them to want to have what you have. And maybe this goes without saying, but in order for them to want to have what you have, they have to see what you have. You have to be in contact with them. Call me crazy, but if the only thing that non-Christians think about Christianity is based on what they see on TV and see in the media and see online, both from non-Christians and Christians alike, they probably won't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And so they need to see it up close. They need to see it in person. They need to see it from you. In this board that we call Planet Earth, God employs a strategy that is so different from the strategy anyone would ever employ in the game of Go. He doesn't want to wall off his people from those who are non-Christians or distance them from others as much as he possibly can. Instead, he wants to use insiders for the benefit of outsiders, just like he had used the outsiders for the benefit of the insiders. And as I mentioned, this is a strategy for moving around the pieces on the board that would make absolutely no sense in that Chinese board game of Go. In fact, it would sort of be like something that happened in that now somewhat famous match in March of 2016 when the computer beat a human being for the very first time. Just a couple minutes into match number three, the Google computer DeepMind made a move that was both completely unexpected and completely inexplicable. I don't know enough about the game to help explain why that one black dot is so out of the ordinary and so inexplicable, but trust me, it is. In fact, it was so surprising that Lee Sadol had to actually get up from the table and walk away for a moment. He was just so flabbergasted. And yet, about 50 moves down the road, that surprising move helped DeepMind win the game. It's now somewhat famously simply known as Move 37. There are YouTube videos on the internet that have millions of views. In fact, it was the thing that caused Lee Sadol to completely change his attitude toward his opponent. Going into those matches, he said, I think I'm going to win by a complete landslide. After losing game three by this surprising move, he said, I kind of feel helpless. And friends, when we see how our God moves the pieces of insiders and outsiders around his board, that's exactly how he wants us to feel. Helpless. 
You see, we look at those pieces, we look at the piece we happen to be at this moment in time, and we want to think that we had something to do with it. We're at the spot where we're at because we put ourselves there. We chose to be there. We decided to be there. We want to be in control because we want to take credit. We want to be able to have some sort of claim of superiority over someone else. But if the only reason we are insiders in the first place is because God used some outsiders to benefit us, and if God's desire for us as insiders is to share what we have and to make envious those who are currently outsiders, then we can't possibly be in control. And we can't possibly take credit. And we can't possibly have any reason to make a claim of superiority over anyone else. And that's exactly what Paul says in these verses. He says, whether we are an insider or an outsider at the given moment, there's something that's true of everyone. He says, God has bound everyone over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Using the, the language of a strategic board game, we might say that God moved the pieces on the board so that we would be completely surrounded. There's not a single way out, not a single avenue, not a single outlet that somehow allows us to claim control and credit for where we are at the moment on the board. We are surrounded only by disobedience, by unworthiness, and by sin. There's no way out. And so as a result, the only explanation for why we are where we are is, as Paul says, God's mercy. And if that's the case, then by definition, we can have absolutely no claim of superiority over anyone else. And that, too, is part of God's immense wisdom for how he wants to spread his gospel in the world. Because perhaps nothing makes something more attractive. Nothing makes other people want to be a part of something more than if they see in us a recognition that what we have is not something that we deserve, that it's not something that we earn, that it is only a result of God's mercy. In fact, I was reading a, another book recently that talked about how belief in God in our world is actually making a bit of a surprising resurgence. In other words, there are outsiders who are becoming insiders in some kind of surprising ways, and there are not as many insiders who are becoming outsiders as you might expect. And the author of the book proposes one specific reason for why this might be the case. He says that the smugness and the vitriol and the condescension that came from opponents of Christianity and religion, especially back in the, the early 2000s when those things sort of had a lot of momentum, well, it really turned a lot of people off and actually did damage to the cause of the anti-religious crowd. Here's the specific quote where he explains that. He says, For religious people, the scornful and condescending tone of opponents of religion had been a turnoff from the outset. As evangelistic strategies go, painting your potential convert as an ignoramus tends to be a poor one. Friends, our God spares us from that. In his divine wisdom, as he binds and confines all of us to disobedience and makes mercy our only possible claim, he guarantees that even though at any given moment we happen to be the insiders, that does not give us a claim of superiority over anyone else. Mercy is the only claim we can make. 
So let me ask, do you think that God's strategy for moving all the pieces around the board has won the game, so to speak, in your life? Has it completely settled once and for all that natural human desire that we all have to want to feel superior to somebody else? I have to tell you, one of the ways that that instinct can sort of rear its ugly head is associated with the day that we are celebrating today, the day known as Epiphany. And it involves those most famous characters in the Epiphany story. They actually might have known the ancient Chinese game of Go because it's been around for that long. I don't know if they were any good at it or not, but we do refer to them as wise men. And maybe we sometimes get this impression that they were the ones who are sort of the stars of the show. They make this heroic, dangerous journey across miles and miles of open wilderness against all odds and with nothing but sheer determination of will they finally make it right to the Savior's side. We make them the heroes of this story. Three wise men in a world that must have been full of ignoramuses. And then we take their story and we apply it to our lives by saying things like, wise men still seek him. Which means that if we are among those who seek him, we must be pretty wise men, right? And all of that sounds all fine and good except for the fact that it gets the story of Epiphany exactly backwards. The story of Epiphany is not a story about how three wise men found, sought, and found the world's Savior. It's a story about how a divinely wise God sought and found those wise men. Yes, he used a miraculous star to do that, but he also used a group of outsiders to point them in the right direction, and no doubt used a long string of events that had been in process for centuries prior. And friends, even though, again, you and I can't see all the different steps and all the different moves that God has used in our story, it is a story just like that. Left to ourselves, we would be miles and miles from the Son and Savior that God gave as a gift to the world. But through God's divine wisdom, he has brought us close. He has brought us face to face with that Savior and all the gifts that he came to bring. Forgiveness for our sins, life instead of death, and eternal salvation instead of condemnation. Our story is not one of how we sought and found Jesus. It's a story of divine wisdom of how our God sought and found us. And so instead of a claim of superiority, we'll wrap things up this morning with the kind of claim that somebody makes when they are suddenly encountered with an intelligence and a wisdom that so clearly supersedes their own. In fact, it is the claim that the Apostle Paul made in the verses that are immediately following the ones that are in front of us today. And so join me in speaking these words. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Amen.